0: Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Helen Sherliff. This show is heard on WBCQ, the planet, every Monday and Thursday evenings at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also pick it up on our YouTube channel, at least some of our shows, and all of our shows on our Podomatic in audio format, podomatic.com. Just go to the website and uh, punch in Camp Constitution This show is brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among other things, runs a week-long family camp, and this year's camp is coming up in less than two months, but a month and a half away at the the Singing Hills Christian Camp and Conference Center in the beautiful town of Plainfield, New Hampshire, and Plainfield is about an hour north and west of the state capital, Concord, beautiful venue, it's uh, very close to the Connecticut River. In, uh, in a bordering, uh, which is uh, bordered by Vermont. And uh, let's see, it starts July 18th, Sunday afternoon, and it ends July, Friday, July 23rd in the morning. And we have a great lineup of instructors, as we do every year, and we have all kinds of wonderful activities in addition to the incredible learning. And this is uh, what we call a family camp. I know when people think of camps, summer camps or weekend camps or overnight camps they have, they might think it's all children or adults or people over 20 or under 20 or so. Everyone has a different uh, notion of what a camp is. But this camp is for all families. It's for unaccompanied minors. And usually we tell the parents it's their discretion. You know, we've had some as young as nine without their parents or even brothers and sisters. And they did fine. But, it, end, yeah, it's up to the discretion of the parents uh, because if they get homesick, they're the ones that are going to have to come by and pick them up earlier in the week. Uh, we also have unaccompanied adults. Many adults like to participate in the classes, help out uh, in various uh, aspects of the camp. And in, after, in our, uh, after our instruction, we have a, all kinds of uh, activities. As I mentioned, we have uh, some marksmanship, uh, map reading, you know, martial arts, uh, hiking, swimming, yoga pits. Uh, we have chess tournaments, and if you've never played chess, you can learn how to play chess. If you've never fired a weapon before, you learn how to fire a weapon. Uh, if you've never learned how to read a map, uh, you can learn how to read a map. So we have all kinds of great challenges for people, and it's uh, each. There are rooms that w- we have lodges so we're not sleeping in tents and. Uh, you know, with a little trenching tool for a toilet. We have uh, rooms and dorms, and they're comfortable. Each room has a shower. Uh, We have families that will get a room. In some cases, the the parents, let's say they have a a couple of teenagers and then a couple of, say, smaller children, we can put them in a room, put the children, the older children in the dorms with the boys and girls. Or sometimes the families just want to stay together, and that's fine too. We like it that way because the parents are sort of built-in counselors, where we don't have to rely on many counselors uh, anymore since we have so many families that uh, that are there. So, again, uh, go to our website, campconstitution.net, and early registration ends Tuesday, this coming, uh, actually tomorrow, uh, July, June 1st, where you save uh, $50 off each tuition. Now, we don't even expect full payment, but if you sign up and make a deposit towards and We do have some tuition assistance available on a case-by-case basis. We don't have unlimited funds, but we may be able to help out, let's say a family of five or six and they can put in a certain amount and they have trouble with the rest, we should be able to provide. And when it comes to transportation, uh, we, again, can't guarantee you uh, carpooling, but depending on where you may be in the United States, we could possibly arrange carpooling. We have folks coming from Michigan, Ohio, uh, and uh, other points around the region, and so it might be possible. We can definitely pick people up at train stations, bus stations, and airports. So again, uh, more information, please visit our website or call me directly at eight five seven four nine eight one three zero nine. We're supposed to have Chuck Morris, uh, my uh, my old friend Chuck Morris, join us to discuss his latest book, and I just messaged him, I left a message with him uh, before the show began. Hopefully he'll remember to call in. But uh, today is Memorial Day and it's just not a day that you 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 don't say happy Memorial Day. You know, it's, uh, and I want to read James Garfield's Decoration Day speech. It used to be called Decoration Day and that was to decorate the graves of those that died in war. Now, we do have a day for veterans to mem- to to honor veterans and I happen to be a proud veteran of the United States Army that's in November November 11th but Memorial Day a lot of people get this confused like you honor veterans on Memorial Day you should honor veterans and those who are serving every day but that Veterans Day is set aside for those who had served uh, M- Memorial Day is those who have died or killed in, in defense of our nation And I'm going to read this speech, May 30th, 1868, and I've got a little preface here. On May 30th, 1868, a crowd of more than 5,000 gathered at Arlington National Cemetery for the first Decoration Day, now known as Memorial Day Exercises. Before strewing flowers upon the graves of the dead, the crowd listened to an address by James Abram Garfield. And he, was, uh, he became president at the United States. He was born in 1831, died and was assassinated in 1881. Then an Ohio congressman who had served as a Union Major General during the Civil War. In this first of such annual addresses at Arlington National Cemetery and across the nation, Garfield set a standard by explaining what Decoration Day is all about and why it should be commemorated. Garfield was elected the 20th president of the United States in 1880. He served just four months in office before being shot by an assassin on July 2nd, 1881. He lingered for the next 80 days, dying at age 49 on September 19, 1881. So this is a speech. I am oppressed with a sense of the impropriety of uttering words on this occasion. If silence is ever golden, it must be here beside the graves of 15,000 men whose lives were more significant than speech and whose death was a poem the music of which can never be sung, with words we make promises. like faith, praise virtue. Promises may not be kept. Blighted faith may be broken, and vaunted virtue be only the cunning mask of vice. We do not know one promise these men made, one pledge they gave, one word they spoke, but we do know they summed up and perfected by one supreme act, the highest virtue, virtues of men and citizens. For love of country they accepted death and thus resolved all doubts, and made immortal their patriotism and their virtue. For the noblest man that lives, there still remains a conflict. He must still withstand the assault of time and fortune, must still be assailed with temptations, before which lofty natures have fallen, but with these the conflict ended, their victory was won, when death stamped on them the great seal of the heroic character, and closed a record which years cannot never blot. I know of nothing more appropriate on this occasion than to inquire what brought these men here, what high motive led them to condense life into an hour, and to crown that hour by joyfully welcoming death. Let us consider. Eight years ago, this was the most warlike nation on earth. For 50 years, no spot of any of these states had been the scene of battle. Thirty millions of people had an army of less than 10,000 men. The faith of our people in the stability and permanence of their institutions was like their faith in the eternal course of nature. Peace, liberty, and personal security were blessings as common as universal in sunshine, as sunshine, and showers, and fruitful seasons, and all sprang from a single source, the old American principle that all owe due submission and obedience to the lawfully expressed will of the majority. This is not one of the doctrines of our political system. It is the system itself. It is our political firmament in which all other truths are set as stars in heaven. It is the encasing air, the breath of the nation's life. Against this principle, the whole weight of the rebellion was thrown. Its overthrow would have brought such ruin as might follow in the physical universe. If the power of gravitation were destroyed and nature's conquered broke, among the constellations war was sprung. Two planets rushing from aspect malign of fiercest opposition in mid-sky should combat in their jarring spheres confound. The nation was summoned to arms by every high motive which can inspire men. Two centuries of freedom had made its people unfit for despotism. They must save the government or miserably perish. As a flash of lightning in a midnight tempest revealed the abysmal horrors of the sea, so did the flash of the first gun disclose the awful abyss, abyss into which rebellion was ready to plunge us. In a moment, the fire was lighted by 20 million hearts. In a moment, we were the most warlike nation on the earth. In a moment, we were not merely a people with an army, we were a people in arms. The nation was in column, not all at the front, but all in the array. I love to believe that no heroic sacrifice is ever lost, that the characters of men are molded and inspired by what their fathers have done. That treasured up in American souls are the unconscious influences of the great deeds of the Anglo-Saxon race. From Agincote to Bunker Hill, it was such an influence that led a young Greek 2,000 years ago while musing on the Battle of Marathon to exclaim, the trophies of Miltiades will not let me sleep. Could these men be silent in 1861? These whose ancestors had felt the inspiration of battle on every field where civilization had fought in the last 1,000 years. Read their answer in this green turf. Each for himself gathered up the cherished purposes of life, its aims and ambitions, its dearest affections, and flung on with life itself into the scale of battle. And uh, so the above was from the James A. Garfield National Historical Site, and uh, you can actually visit his homestead in Mentor, Ohio, where I have visited. Uh, and I'll just read here, James A. Garfield was the 20th president of the United States. He was the only president that was an ordained minister and the last U.S. was president to be born in the log cabin. And by the way, that log cabin, there's a replica of that log cabin uh, just outside of Cleveland. I actually, it's uh, it's right on the premises of a library, and I forget the name of the town. He was the only sitting member of the House of Representatives to be elected president. On July 2nd, 1881, he was shot by Charles Godot and died on September 19th, 1881. He had a great, a great quote, and I'm going to read that. Now more than ever... Oh, Oh, I lost it. Here we go. Anyway, uh, I lost. I, I was reading, it and somehow I, uh, I I deleted it. But he was just talking about that um, if 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 we elect basically evil people, it's because the people want evil people. If we elect virtuous people, it's because the people want virtuous people. And that's a a true principle that will never change. Hey, Chuck uh, Charles Moskowitz, are you there? Chuck, let's see if I get them all. We get another fifteen minutes left. Let's see if I can. Un- I'm having trouble here. Hey, Chuck, can you hear us? I sure can, Hal. Can you hear me? All right. All right. Thank you. Yeah, I was. Uh, I thought you maybe got in a little late, so I just I just read James Garfield's speech, 1868, oh. which I thought you'd appreciate. Well, folks, I want to introduce uh, an old friend of mine uh charles moskowitz uh we first met he was uh, hosting a radio show at Tufts university in boston he called me what i would say out of the blue i thought this guy was uh, it was a hoax he was uh, hey i mean i going to interview you on a radio show and i said this guy really knows his stuff not too many people i i talked to know what he knows and i then he invited me on in the studio at the university at the time and uh I introduced them to a dear friend of ours who's since passed, and that was Samuel Blumenfeld, and they became best of friends. But Chuck, um, well, Chuck, tell the millions of listeners all around the world a little bit about yourself, and then we can talk about your latest uh, book.
1: Thank you, Hal. I really appreciate uh, joining you as always. And uh, as you know, I've been doing talk radio off and on for the past 20 years, ever since, on various stations, particularly around the greater Boston area. And uh, it actually was our dear friend, Sam Blumenfeld, who got me involved in writing. And he said to me at the time, he goes, by writing a short article, which eventually you could turn into a book, there's nothing better than, there's no better means of clarifying your thinking on a topic and going deep into a topic. It forces you to really do a a dive into, into any given topic, especially something you're passionate about. And you
0: know uh, what, uh, let me just interject for a second. Yeah. Sam Blumenfeld said it's something that's a permanent record, so people years from now, generations from now, can look back and say, "Oh, this guy here who lived in Boston and Brookline, and not, you know, in the '90s and the turbulent—boy, uh, he was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty really telling of what was going on." You know.
1: Well, you know, writing a book does prov- prov- does create a permanent. Marker in time. It's it's a legacy thing, and since then I've I've advised people and I've counselled people on how to write a book, how to do it clearly and quickly, how to publish a book, and to do it. You know, Amazon actually offers a very good means to do that, and then how to promote their book. And uh, it's a very, uh, you know, it's something that's available to anyone who has a topic that they care about, that they're passionate about. There's no better way to really learn it and to share it than writing a book.
0: And you've written uh, several, about five or six books
1: now? Oh, I've written over 20 books at this point. Oh, Oh, wow. Right right now, particularly since the pandemic, I've I've devoted myself to writing short books, almost novellas, or maybe you might even call them pamphlets. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe about ten, twelve thousand 12,000 words each. And I've tried to do one every month and a half, every two months. And uh, this book that I just wrote, The Satanic Conspiracy, is a sort of a counterpoint to an early, to, to my first pamphlet, which was about God. And the books that are a little different than the normal books, the type of books I write, which are about politics and culture and economy, these books dealt with a spiritual question, is there a God? And if so, why is there evil in the world? And... Uh, Writing this book has led me to a personal spiritual experience. I have become more aware that of the existence of God and that I have come to know God in a way that I never thought possible. Um, the book, The Satanic Conspiracy, of course, deals with the, the absence of God. It's the satanic influence and how it manifests itself on earth. And I get into how to identify Satanism when we see it and when I say Satanism, I don't just mean the satanic cult that right. pre- it's always been with us, and it I think it does permeate elements of our establishment, but but also just the satanic nature of things, the satanic influence, and how it manifests itself. We well, as no, images, got,
0: uh, yeah yeah I just want to mention that as Sam Sam would discuss this too. And uh, one of the things, of course, he looked at was what was being done to our children in the government schools. And he said uh, one of his speeches where well, he was talking about a school that was that was vandalized. It was on the North Shore of Boston, sometime in the eighties, a brand new school building. And mm-hmm. Sam said they know what's being they know what's being done to them. And in the New Testament, uh, Jesus said, it's causing one of these little ones to sin." it's better to put a millstone and be tossed into the ocean. And all these government school teachers and principals that are engaged in this are doing it willfully, I would say are are satanic. And again, they're not necessarily formal Satanists, but what they're doing is advancing Satan's kingdom.
1: Absolutely. And uh, there is a slight difference between sin, which is something that we're all susceptible to. It's everywhere. It's in us. It's outside of us. It exists. And uh, in a sense, a moral character, a moral person is someone who identifies sin and, and learns to resist it and learns to put it into the proper context by exposing it. But the difference when you talk about what Sam brought up, you know, with these teachers, and by the way, I think some of them are unwitting because they were indoctrinated into this. Right. What we're right. talking about is satanic because when you deliberately and consciously are involved in an agenda, that declares evil to be good and good to be evil, that is the very practice of Satanism. That is literally the practice of Satanism. If you take a look at, for example, the Satanic Mass, uh, in the, even the modern one as implemented by by uh, LeVay, the uh, modern Satanist, the Church of Satan, you are literally taking all of the images of, of, of the Catholic Mass, and you're turning it on its head, literally. You're reversing it, everything becomes the opposite. You know, the cross is turned upside down. The the, the rituals become the opposite of what they were. That's literally how they observe a satanic mass. And the way that translates into society is if you're telling Americans, you're telling human beings, uh, particularly children, that something that is evil is good and that something that is good is evil, then you are in a sense, practicing the actual faith of of Satanism, because that's what Satan is. And that's what Satan does. Satan is deceptive. Satan basically is saying, is trying to overthrow God in heaven. Satan is trying to overthrow the moral and ethical order that God gave all of man and revealed at Sinai, and that revealed with the ministry of Jesus. God, you know, the 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 satanic practitioner is trying to overthrow that and create an earthly world, which is controlled by evil men, or is controlled by imperfect men who are prone to evil. Some of them very well may think they're good, but the idea of doing s- such, overthrowing God, is an unnatural idea, and that which is unnatural is evil.
0: That exactly right, and we see today uh, if you say that uh, there's only two genders, which is a scientific fact, uh, there are those who think you're a hate, you know, you're somehow you're some kind of phobe, a transphobe or something crazy like that. A term, by the way, that was recently coined because five or six, seven, ten years ago, even the most leftist person didn't use that word and would not consider you a, a hater because you said there were two genders. You know, right. those of you who uh you know, we say that the the, the right to, the right to life and that you know at conception is is sacred, and they look at you as so, you hate women. You know, and some people are convinced it was just with this ridiculous mask uh, nonsense, where um, there are the young children were being scared to death. They were being brainwashed by their parents. You can't take that mask off. At the minute you're outside, or you're gonna get you're gonna get sick and die. And of course, the science said that people twenty and younger didn't. If they got it, they got very mild symptoms, and there was hundred percent, hundred percent recovery. The people that were dying were those with pre-existing conditions, people overweight, diabetes, and many others. Those right. were the people right. that, were, that were, were getting it, and they, you know, and they, oh, you, you tested positive. I mean, how many? I know a lot. Number of young people that tested positive. They didn't even you know they had it. You know, exactly but the parents were telling you how and they're scared and they're still afraid you know so yes that's i mean a,
1: no i mean in a sense it is you know as as mentioned i mean satan is the great deception it's the idea that man can create reality ultimately or certainly can create moral standards that that can be invented as opposed to a moral and ethical order that exists in nature and that it exists as an abstract entity. I mean, when God created men and women in his image, and it does say men and women, um, he basically, the the thing that differentiated us and made us in the image of God, as opposed to all other living beings, was our ability to reason, our ability to identify truths. And we're obligated to exercise that and to develop that knowledge over time and, and to accumulate that knowledge in such a way that we can advance the good and we can advance our civilization. That the first thing God told Adam to do after he was created was to name, and this is something Sam Blumenfeld told me about. and That's was He right.
0: said Adam was, was the first scientist. Yep.
1: That's right. To name all of the living species. And by doing so, he automatically and instantaneously had language. He could identify truths. And once he began identifying truths and giving them names, you can then take that knowledge and start to develop the basic tools of science and and exchange of ideas and opinion and, and civilization. And everything would be hinged upon that. And all of the vehicles like writing and art and all of these things emanate from that simple act, which was the ability to communicate, to speak, to make, to give things names. And, uh, and it happened Simultaneously, it happened at once. And, uh, you know, this is something, I mean, speaking of Sam Blumenfeld, he, at the time I had an interview lined up with um, Noam Chomsky, who is, you know, one of the preeminent linguists, also a predominant leftist. And we were going to talk about politics, but Sam asked me to ask him it before going into politics about his theory of linguis- linguism, which is that man developed the ability to speak simultaneously and at once. It wasn't an evolved thing. It's something that simply happened. And it is con- that is consistent with the uh, the Torah, with the book of Genesis. And how does he square that with his likely belief in evolution? And I did. I asked Noam Chomsky, and he went ape. He, he went berserk. Really? No, no complete pun melt-
0: intended.
1: Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and a complete meltdown. But but look, Sam, he you know Chomsky agrees with us in this sense, and with Sam. Language occurred because of some kind of a supernatural command to make language occur, and that in, in the very beginning of my short book, the Satanic conspiracy, I get into a very simple and very basic proof of the existence of God, and I use a mathematical formula to do that, one that's irrefutable. Um, And once you establish that, and you establish that the supernatural creator of the universe, God, what we call God, the giver of all law, separated himself from the creation, the universe. That's the moment of creation. Something came out of nothing. And in order for something to come out of nothing scientifically, because it's not possible in the natural world, you had to have a supernatural event. And I use a mathematical equation to prove it, which is the principle of the zero. The zero is nothing. It stands for, it's a symbol that stands for nothing. Everything above the zero and everything below the zero is something, whether it be positive or negative. But you cannot, zero plus zero is zero. Zero minus zero is zero. You cannot get something out of zero.
0: Zero times zero is zero.
1: That's right. Zero divided by zero is zero. Any combination you name zero is zero because zero doesn't have any substance it is nothing
0: sam looked at the concept of zero was one of the most important inventions in mankind because with that that we can make these calculations that we could build things and you know buildings and bridges and computers and everything else but without the without the roman numeral system was it -hmm. worked to an extent but it was kind of awkward but with the zero that began uh, mathematics and calculus and geometry, and all the other things that made a civilization possible.
1: That's right. And, and, And the idea is that you cannot create something out of nothing in science. It's a basic observation of nature. So once you accept that, you realize that in order for the universe to have been created, whether it was a Big Bang or however it happened, you had to have a supernatural event. It couldn't have just happened out of nothing. And that's where you have God creating the universe. And once God creates the universe and he gives an order to the universe, you have all these separations. They separate the sky from the earth. You separate the animal kingdom from the land. You separate the sea from the land. You separate, you know, then finally you separate mankind from all other living beings. And out of that abstract, out of that physical construct, you develop the abstract constructs of separations, which is the separate nature of relations between people, the separate existence of nation states, the separate existence of tribes, the separate existence of all of these intricate developments in man that is a a manifestation of this idea. And, And that the laws of the Torah, the laws of the Old Testament for Christians, basically tell us it's a blueprint for how we are to conduct our affairs in relation to other things whether it be as individuals in relation to our fellow individuals or whether it be our nations in relation to other nations. But it is based upon this idea that we have separate identities and that those identities are different and they can be defined. Ultimately, we all come from the same mother and father, of course, and we're all equal under God because God created men and women in his image. But we, we, we honor the existence in order to understand the nature of the world and reality. We identify differences. And, the, of course, ultimately, we have to uh, separate the, the sacred from the profane, the good from the evil. We can't know all of that because only God knows all of it. But we can know a lot, and we can learn a lot, both by prayer and study, but also by basic we observation. Got about
0: 45, 45 seconds left. This is the shortest uh, 30 minutes in, ra- in radio, in history. Anyway, how can the uh, listeners get... Not only this book, but some of your other writings.
1: Thank you very much, Hal. I really appreciate it as always. Um, my books are all available at Amazon Books. Just go to Amazon.com, put my name in the server, Charles Moskowitz, and you can you'll see a whole ton of books come up. But this particular book, the Satanic Conspiracy, is my latest, and um, yeah, I mean I'm pretty proud of it. It's uh, you know I get into some real some real stuff. I also talk about secret societies. I talk about what corrupted both Christianity and Judaism uh, in terms of secret societies and how they were satanic and how they have reached a point today where we've reached a critical mass because of science, the ability of of artificial intelligence, uh, transhumanism, which you made a reference to, and these other agendas which are in the hands of these secret societies and that they are satanic. We need to identify them if we are to continue as a free people.
0: Chuck, thank you so much. I wish we had more time. Folks, you've been listening to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff and guest, Chuck Morris, and uh, Chuck Charles Mosco, excuse me. And That's until uh, next week, may uh, God richly bless you. Thank you.
1: Thank you, sense. Thank you, Hal. 18 plus.